All right, good evening, everybody. I want to go ahead and find your seats, and we will we'll go ahead and get started. If you got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in the last three verses of chapter 12 of Romans. Um, if you're with us for the first time tonight, we are going through the entire book of Romans. I think this is our 72nd uh, lesson in the book. And I think we started in August of 2020. That's hard to even remember now. But uh, we've made it all the way to the end of uh, this great chapter. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. So let's read our verses. The Apostle Paul says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to begin tonight by talking about a subject that should be very familiar to every person here. And that subject is anger. Um, you know, like I just mentioned, this is our 72nd lesson in the book of Romans. And we've covered a lot of different subjects and uh, sometimes it's just natural that, you know, one subject may be more applicable to one person than it is to another person. But when it comes to anger, one thing that we can be certain of is that this subject applies to everybody. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, doesn't matter if you're black or white, doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, doesn't matter if you're young or old. Toddlers get angry and 80-year-old grandmothers get angry, right? I won't make anybody raise their hand, but somebody here, you've already been angry today. Uh, somebody's been angry this week. We, we, it's, it's, it's common to the universal condition. We all have to deal with anger. Now, I want to start tonight by asking a question. Is it a sin to be angry? Is anger a sin? Now, this may surprise some of you, but the answer to this is no. It is not a sin to be angry. In fact, sometimes it, it can even be right. And, and appropriate and even justifiable. Now, I want to I make sure I give you some scriptures for this so you understand. I'll give you three. Let's start with Mark 3, 5. Talking about Jesus, it said this, He looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. Now, this is what we know about Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, it says, in all, He was in always, in always tempted as we are, yet what? Without sin. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So we know that scripture teaches us that Jesus Christ was sinless. And yet here's the Bible telling us that he was angry. So that right there is enough to tell us that anger is not necessarily a sin. Psalm 711 says this, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. So once again, we know God is holy. We know God is righteous. Everything he does is right. And yet the Bible says that he himself is angry with the wicked. So that tells us right there that um, anger is not necessarily a sin. And of course, a scripture that deals directly with us is Ephesians 4.26, where Paul says, Be angry, and yet do not sin. So Paul is not here, by the way, encouraging us to run out and be angry. What he's, what he's basically saying is, look, you're going to get angry. It's, you're, you're going to get angry just, just the way you breathe. It's going to happen, right? But when it happens, do not 
sin. So that tells us pretty quickly that being, just being angry itself is not a sin. Yet, yet the Bible consistently and repeatedly warns us of the dangers of being angry. Colossians 3.8, Paul says this, Put away all anger and wrath and malice. Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. Uh, Galatians 5.20, Now the works of the flesh are plain, strife and jealousy and anger. So the Bible, even though it's not a sin, it's telling us, put it away from you. Don't, don't be quick to anger. Don't, don't have anything... To, to do with it. Now, I want to know the answer to this question. If it's not a sin, then why would the Bible spend so many scriptures and so much time telling us to avoid anger? The answer to that is because anger always comes with baggage. Anger always tends to produce other things in our life. Now, by the way, let me just say this. This isn't unusual in scripture. Let me give you a couple of other examples where the Bible warns us about something that isn't necessarily a sin. One of these is money. Having money is not a sin. Money's just pieces of paper. It's not a sin to have money. But yet the Bible opened up the New Testament and the Old Testament and it warns us repeatedly to be very careful of money. Why? Because of what it tends to produce, right? It's what comes with it. it. It tends to produce greed. It tends to produce a reliance on money instead of a reliance and a trust in God. The same is true and maybe even a better example would be alcohol. Just having alcohol or, or, or having a sip of alcohol go down your throat isn't inherently a sin. Jesus himself said it's not what goes into the stomach that defiles a person. It's what comes out of their heart. Yet the Bible I mean, over and over, New Testament old warns us again and again and again about the dangers of alcohol. Why? Because it's what comes with it. It's the loss and, and lack of self-control that tends to come with alcohol that leads us into other things. So it's not unusual that the Bible would warn us some, about something that's not necessarily a sin. He would warn us about it because it's, it comes with these inherent dangers. Let me give you a few about anger. Uh, James 1, 19 and 20, a very familiar scripture. James says this, Know this, my brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So here's the first thing about anger. It, it may produce some things, but here's what it never produces. It never produces the righteousness of God. Now listen, as Christians, we should... We should want things in our life and think about things in our life and deal with things in our life that produces godliness and righteousness, right? Those are the kind of things we should welcome. Why would we ever want anything into our life that's not ever going to produce the righteousness of God? Now, that's just one side of the coin. There's another side of the coin. For example, Proverbs 29, 22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Anger leads to sin. Okay? Matthew 5, 22, Jesus said this, Everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable or subject to judgment. So on one hand, anger never produces the righteousness of God. On the other hand, it produces sin and it makes you liable to judgment. So those are just some dangers. So here's the thing. Anger may be entirely justified. 
But here's what we have to understand about angry. When you get angry, you open a door. Okay? When you get angry, you open a door. And you need to shut that door as quickly as you can possibly shut it. Let's go back to Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. Let's look at this uh, scripture again. Paul is saying, be angry and yet do not sin. Okay? Now again, he's not encouraging us, hey guys, go out and be angry. He's just saying, you're going to be angry, but you don't have to sin. Okay, Paul, how do we avoid that? Watch what he says. Do not let the sun go down on your, own, your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. What, what Paul is saying is when you get angry, it's going to happen. But when you get angry, you've opened a door and you need to shut that door as quickly as you possibly can. You see, here's the thing. If you can remain angry for a day, then you can certainly remain angry for a week. And if you can stay angry for a week, you can stay angry for a month, and that month turns into a year, and that year turns into ten, and you got no idea how you got there. Listen, when you get angry and it comes and you need to forgive somebody, can I tell you, it's not any easier a week later than it is that day. It's not any easier a month later than it is that day. Just because time goes by, sometimes it even gets harder. So Paul says, don't let that happen. When you're angry, don't let the sun go down. Take care of it that day. Deal with it. Don't give the devil an opportunity. You see, this is why anger is so very dangerous. Because when you let anger come into your life and you don't get rid of it, what it's going to do is it's going to grow into things like grudges and bitterness and unforgiveness. Those things are going to grow like a cancer. If you expose yourself to anger for any extended amount of time, it can destroy you. Think of it like radiation. You know, a human being can be exposed to a radiation, for example, like an x-ray, in very short amounts, and that's okay. But you go in and expose yourself to radiation for an extended period of time, and it will kill you. Well, let me tell you, anger is exactly like that. You're going to get angry. But as long as you deal with it in short things, you close it and get rid of it and don't give the enemy an opportunity, you'll be fine. But if you let there, you let that linger, and you let that sit there and just uh, take root in your heart, it absolutely will destroy you. It will kill you. In fact, I want to I uh, give you a parable. This is a parable of Jesus talking about the danger uh, of what anger <clears throat> produces. And I'll show you how it destroys us. Jesus is telling a, a parable one day in Matthew chapter 18, and he says this. He says, the, he says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. So he, he, he's got a bunch of servants that's borrowed money from him. He decides, okay, let's get everybody together and see where everybody is. How much have you paid back? Or, you know, all of this thing. So in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him a lot of money. Um, in, the, in, in the New Living Translation, it talks about millions of dollars. And this man couldn't pay. So his master, or the king, ordered that he be sold and his wife and his children and his house and his, and his, and his goats and his sheep and all his animals and everything he's got to pay the debt. And the Bible says the man fell down before his master and begged him and said, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. And his master was filled with pity, and he released him and forgave his debt, which is an amazing thing, right? He didn't just say, okay, 
I'm going to give you another chance. Go out and do your best. No, he says he forgave the debt. Okay, you don't owe it to me anymore. It says, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, and he grabbed him by the throat, and he demanded instant payment. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. Now, Jesus adds this at the end. That's exactly what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. Let me tell you something. In Matthew 6, 15, he doesn't tell a parable. He just says it bluntly. If you don't forgive others when they sin against you, then the heavenly Father will not forgive you when you sin against him. That's about as bluntly as it can get. Why is anger so dangerous? Because anger opens the door to unforgiveness, and unforgiveness puts your soul in danger of hell. Let me say it again so you understand the danger of anger. Anger opens the door to unforgiveness, and unforgiveness puts you in mortal danger of being cast into hell. Jesus said that. It's exactly what he'll do if you can't forgive those who sin against you. When we were kids, anybody ever played that hot potato game? That's a cool game, right? And you, you, you play it with a potato or a ball and you pretend it's hot. And, you know, you, as soon as you get it, you get rid of it. Listen, if we really understood what anger, the danger behind anger, we would treat it like a hot potato. As soon as it came into our life, we'd say, oh, I got to get rid of that. Treat it like a hot potato because that's the danger. It won't just burn you. It will destroy you if you don't get rid of it. That's the danger of, of anger. Now, I want to dig down a little bit deeper. Anger is dangerous because it allows things like bitterness and unforgiveness. Why are those things so bad? Why are they so bad that Jesus said that you're, you can't get into heaven with those things in your heart? He won't let you in. Why are they that bad that they can literally keep you out of heaven? Well, let me say this. Unbelief is what keeps you out of heaven. Let's make sure we understand that. Unbelief is what keeps you out of heaven. And what I want you guys to understand here tonight is that bitterness and unforgiveness, they are the fruit of unbelief. They are the fruit of unbelief. Listen, we have all been wronged by somebody. Every single one of us here. You've been lied about and you've been lied to, right? People have stolen from you. People have been unfaithful to you. People have, have gossiped about you. People have let you down. People have rejected you. The list goes on and on, right? We've all been wrong somewhere in this life. And in, and in many cases, that person has never even apologized. And, and, and even if they did, they, they, they really haven't done anything sufficient to make it right. And when that happens, every single one of us get this feeling down deep inside. And that feeling says something like this, that, that shouldn't happen. That, that's not right. They shouldn't have hurt me like that. And you, you get this feeling that that person needs to be punished. And let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with that feeling. You're exactly right. That should not have happened to you. 
and that sin should be punished. You are, you're exactly right. You see, one of the deep hindrances to, unfor- to forgiveness in our life, one, one of the things that makes forgiveness so hard for us sometimes, is, is we can't let it go because we've got this feeling that if we do, justice won't be done. Are you with me? We, we think, well, then they hurt me. And if I, just, if I just let it go, then how's that justice? Because, you, it, listen, this need for justice, this desire for justice, it, it, it's, it's inherent in every single one of us. We know what they did wasn't right. We know there should be some kind of, 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 of justice for that. We know it's not right for somebody to just get away with something. And again, there's nothing wrong with that feeling. You're right. They should, that should not have happened to you. You should not have been hurt. The sin that they committed should be punished. So that's not wrong to think that. It's not wrong to, to feel that. You are angry... And that's understandable. That's even justified. But you see, what, what I want you to see is the door is now open. You're angry. You've been hurt. But you just opened the door. And now you got a choice. This is where Christians have to make a choice. Let's read verse 19 again. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 32, 35. Christian, God has made you a promise in his word. Okay? He has promised that justice will be done. He has promised to repay all the wrongs in perfect measure. Listen, do you understand that nothing escapes his eye? He sees everything that was done to you. In fact, he sees the evil of it far better than you do, and he hates it far more than you do. He understands that, and he claims the right to administer justice. He says, that's that's my right to do that, not yours. Now, the question is, as a Christian, do you choose to believe the promise of God? Do you believe that all wrongs will be made right? Do you believe that he'll take up your cause? Do you believe that when it's all said and done that he'll perform justice for you? Do you really believe that? You see, it it all comes down to do you trust God to settle accounts for you? Do you trust him? Do you believe what he said? And if you really do, you let it go. You stop thinking about it. You stop savoring vengeance. You, you, and, and not only that, you're free to return good for evil. Because you just let it go. That's your choice. Or you can choose the other way. And you can say, you know what? I know what he says right there, but I just cannot let this go. I just, I just, I just can't believe that promise. And what you do is you just go right on thinking it over in your mind over and over and over again. Because somehow you think if I just let it go, justice is not going to be, it's not going to be done. And so you, you just hold on to that anger. You play it over and over and over and over in your mind. It shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have done that to me. Well, they, you know, that person was wrong. And you're right. 
And you just go over it and over it and you just will not let it go. And the bitterness and the unforgiveness grows like a tumor inside of you. See, you got two choices. Folks, listen to me. It all comes from unbelief. You had a choice to make. The door was open when you got angry. That's okay. That wasn't sin. But now you've got a choice. Do I believe the promises of God? Will I let it go? Or do I, have I got to have justice for myself? Have I got to take vengeance? Those are your choices. On one hand, you believe the promises of God. On the other hand, you don't believe the promises of God. And bitterness and anger and those things grow all out of unbelief in the faithfulness of God. You see, the battle against bitterness and the battle against grudges and the battle against anger is always a fight against unbelief. It's always a fight against unbelief. Will you believe the promises of God? Let me give you the greatest example we could, and that's the example of Jesus. Do you understand no one was more innocent than Jesus? Listen, we've all been hurt, but can we be honest? We've all hurt others, have we not? We've all been lied to, but we've, we've done our share of lying. We're not, we're not innocent, are we? But he was. He never did anything wrong. He's perfectly innocent. But yet nobody was abused more than him. Nobody got a worse raw deal than him. No one was rejected more than him. If anybody had a right to hold a grudge, if anybody had a right to, to, to hold on to bitterness. If anybody had a right, if you will, to not forgive, it was him. But what did he do? First Peter 2, 2, 3 says this. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he trusted him who judges justly. Y'all see that? See, he saw the wrongs. When they spit in his face, when they, when, they, when they whipped him with that cat of nine tails, when they pressed that, uh, uh, that, that, th that crown of thorns down on his head, when they nailed him to the cross, he knew all the wrongs. He saw that. And he said, Father, I give it to you. You take care of this. And it freed him to say things like this. Forgive them, because they don't even know what they're doing. It set him free. He wasn't sitting there thinking, man, if I don't... If I don't if I don't, if I don't, you know, if I don't hold on to this, no. No, he just gave it to the Father. That is how he overcame. Hebrews 4.15, we said it either earlier. He's been tempted in every respect as we are. He's tempted to be bitter. He's tempted to, uh, to be unforgiving. He's tempted to hold a grudge, yet he was without sin. How? Because he gave it to the Father. He trusted God the Father to take care of the situation. And you and I should walk as he walked. The way to battle... If you're here tonight and you're struggling with grudges, you're struggling with bitterness, you're struggling with unforgiveness, the way to let it go is to believe the promises of God. You just believe the promises of God. There's an old saying, if you keep a grudge, you doubt the judge. If you keep a grudge, then you don't believe the judge. And we need to remember that. I want to talk a little bit, just for a moment, about this idea of leaving it. If you go back and read verse 19, it says this, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it. Leave it to the wrath of God. This, this idea is that you, you literally lay it down. You just give it to Him and you walk away. You see, whether you realize it or not, vengeance is a burden. And this verse is given to us by God 
to relieve us of this burden. Some, some of us are carrying stuff around. We've been carrying it for years. It's a burden, man. I mean, you, you just carry it around everywhere you go. And God's saying, leave it right here. Leave it right here. And he'll lift that burden off of you. And by the way, laying down the burden doesn't mean there's no justice. Laying down the burden doesn't mean the wrongs won't be righted. Laying down that burden doesn't mean, well, they just got away with it. No, folks. When you lay down the burden, God says, I'll pick it up. That becomes my thing to deal with, my thing to to worry about. By the way, this isn't some subtle way of getting revenge. It's giving vengeance to the one that vengeance belongs to. Okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. One more quick thing before we move on. And I love this, this this idea that there is justice. Don't miss how profound that statement is, that vengeance belongs to God. Woven into the very fabric of our reality in this universe is this idea of justice. Every single person here, we we, we see it all the time on TV, right? And and people always say, well, there's not going to be any justice. Oh, yeah. Somebody gets away with something, right? And we see it all the time. There's just no justice. Yes, there is. There may not be justice in this life, and there's certainly not perfect justice in this life, but there is perfect justice. And there's, it, it's just woven into our culture. It's woven into our society. It's woven into who we are as human beings because we are created after the great judge. It, it's built into us. We are created in his image. And God... He has an absolute commitment to justice. All wrongs are going to be punished. Everything is going to be made right. All debts are going to be paid. By the way, a person, this is the beauty of the gospel, right? I owe a debt that I can never pay. And yet, I can fall on my knees, trust Christ as my Savior, and my debt is satisfied on the cross. But it's paid, right? All sin must be paid for. It's either paid for on the cross or someone will pay their own debt in hell. But that's our choice. But justice will be done. So what do we do? What do we do? Let's look at verse 20. Paul says, to the contrary. In other words, don't seek vengeance on your own. But but remember what we talked about the last few weeks? We're a new creation. We're We're this new kind of person. We're not normal anymore. We, we're not just called just, hey, don't go get vengeance. You've got to go further. Jesus always raises the bar. He says this, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean that you will heap burning coals on his head? Now, let me tell you, that is not an easy scripture. That's not an easy scripture to interpret. And here's why. We've been talking for the last few weeks about being real, right? Paul urges us to to love authentically. Don't be hypocrites. Don't just do things so you can check off a a list and say, well, I did it. Do it from the heart because that's who you are. This almost, almost seems to be encouraging us to feed them and, and give them something to drink so that somehow they'll be they'll get more judgment. Does everybody kind of see that a little bit? In other words, it sounds like the only reason we're supposed to feed them and the only reason we're supposed to give them something to drink is so their judgment will be harsher. But that's, that would be a hypocrite. 
That would be doing something, pretending to love them, to pretending to do good to them, when in your heart you just want them to be judged. That cannot be what Scripture means. Because we've seen repeatedly over the last few weeks that we are called to be authentic. By the way, go back to the parable that Jesus said. What did he say? Remember what he said? So my Father will do to you if you don't forgive your brothers and sisters from what? From the heart. He's not, God's not interested in hypocrites. He, he's not interested in, in, in whitewashed tombs that are in, inside or dead people's bones. That's not what he's interested in. He's interested in these new creations that look like Jesus and act like Jesus and walk like Jesus and think like Jesus and talk like Jesus. That's what he's interested in. So this is not calling us to be hypocrites. So what's going on? Well, when you study this, some people try to get around this. And they will say, well, the coals actually are something good. Okay? So here's an example. This is a guy, what's his name here? Uh, let me read it. B.M. Boehm. He said this. This is his explanation of what it means to, to, to put coals on their head. He said, in the Bible lands, almost everything is carried on the head. Water jars, baskets of fruit, vegetables, fish, or any other article. Those carrying the burden rarely touch it with the hands as they walk through crowded streets and lanes with perfect ease. In many homes, the only fire they have is kept in a brazier, which they use for simple cooking as well as for warmth. They plan to always keep it burning, but if it should go out, some member of the family will take the brazier to a neighbor's house to borrow fire. She will lift the brazier to her head and start for home, and if her neighbor is a generous woman, she will heap the brazier full of coals. So to feed an enemy... And give him drink is like heaping this empty brazier with live coals, which means food and warmth and life itself to the person or home needing it and was the symbol of the finest generosity. So what he says this scripture means is that when somebody does you wrong and you give them something to eat, you give them something to drink, he's saying you are, you're doing really good to them. <laughs> By heaping coals of fire on their head. Now, let me just say, that sounds nice, but that is baloney. I don't know any other way to put that. It. it sounds good. It's a way to make things nice and fit because God loves everybody and he don't want to judge anybody and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you, there is absolutely no evidence for that theory or story anywhere in Scripture. There's not even any evidence for that in ancient times. You don't find that in any other books or anything, anything like that. There, there's no use of that phrase anywhere in the Bible or anywhere in ancient writings to refer to kindness or remorse or repentance or anything like that. In fact, just the opposite is true. Every time you see that term, coals of fire, it is always a symbol of anger or judgment. Let me give you an example. Psalms 140, 9 through 10 David says this, as for the head, there it is, as for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not again. Does that sound like something good? No, he's talking about anger. He's talking about wrath. He's talking about judgment. So that's, it's clear in Scripture. In fact, we say it all the time. How do we interpret? We let Scripture what? Interpret Scripture. You let Scripture interpret Scripture. You don't reach out into the ethos and grab some story that makes you feel good. You let Scripture interpret Scripture. 
Scripture tells us what coals of fire mean. It means wrath, it means anger, and it means judgment. So, let's go back. How do we interpret that Scripture? I'm going to help you, I think, because this helped me a while back. There's a, there's a passage in Romans earlier, we read it, and we're going to go back to it here in a moment. And I want you to understand how God's love works with God's judgment. I want you to see it in this passage. And I want you to see this is very much like uh, Paul's analogy of coals of fire. This is Romans 2, 4 through 5. Paul says this, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and the riches of his restraint and the riches of his patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So here's God. And guess what he's doing to his enemies? What's he doing? Good stuff, right? He's feeding them. He's giving them something to drink. He, he's letting the rain fall on them. He's showing kindness to them. Not only that, in their sin, he's restraining himself. He's restraining himself. He's giving them one more day, and then one more day, and then one more day. And he's patient with them. And the whole point of it is to lead them to what? What does it say? Repentance. That's the whole point of all this good things that he's doing. But look at the next verse. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God Paul says God is doing all these good things. He's just giving you all these blessings and he's, he's patient with you and kind with you. And he's, he's wanting you to repent. But if you don't, all that good stuff he's doing is just storing up for yourself wrath on the day of judgment. See, God, God wants people to repent. God wants people to turn to him. But if they don't, the very love that he's showing them actually increases the weight of wrath on their head in the day of judgment. More mercy, more wrath. See, that's the way God's love works for his enemies. By the way, that's the way our love works for our enemies. You see the analogy there? See, our heart's desire should be that for those that wrong us, our heart's desire that is, should be that they repent. So we do, we let, it, we let go, we give it to God, and we do kind things for them. We feed them, we give them something to drink, we, we're, we're patient with them, we, 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 we do all these things, and our, we won't, at the very bottom of our heart, we want our kindness to lead to their repentance. But if they don't repent, the very kindness that you're pouring on them is literally heaping coals of fire on their head. One day they'll stand before God and they'll have to answer for what they did to you and to Him. And, I, they'll, and, and God will say, man, that guy, he forgave you and he fed you and he gave you something to drink and he was kind to you. All to somehow lead you to repentance. And yet, even that you wouldn't give in to. Even in the face of that, you wouldn't humble yourself. Look at verse 21. Paul ends the chapter with this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Have you ever asked yourself what it means for you to be overcome by evil? It's a simple statement. Paul just says, don't be overcome by evil. But what, is that, what does that mean, to be overcome by evil? If you let another person's sin govern your emotions or govern your actions, 
If you let another person's sin lead you into misery or into bitterness or into unforgiveness or into all these things, you are being overcome by evil. You're letting what they do rule you. If you let another person's evil against you provoke you to evil thoughts or evil attitudes or evil deeds against them, you are being overcome by evil. You're letting what somebody else does rule your emotions, rule your feelings, and rule your actions. That's what Paul means by being overcome. I'll say it again. That's how normal people act. It's a, that's as normal as breathing. You know, the, the Bible's full of Proverbs. Did you know the world's got a lot of Proverbs too? These are some of our Proverbs. What's good for the goose? It's good for the gander. If you can do it to me, I can do it to you. What about this one? You need to give them a taste of their own medicine. Or you need to give as good as you get. The idea in the world, the normal world says, whatever they do to you, you give it back just as, just as bad. They lie to you, you lie about them. They gossip about you, you gossip about them. They steal from you, you steal from them. They hurt you, you hurt them back. That's everyday, normal human behavior. You see, normal people in this world allow their emotions and their feelings and their actions to be reflexive. We just, we just react to what other people do to us. And then we just turn around and blame them for how we feel. Pastor Henry said it up here from sermons over and over and over again. He's probably thinking about it right now. Unforgiveness is like drinking a poison and hope it hurts the other person. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hope that it hurts the other person. How ludicrous is that? But that's being overcome by evil. Listen, you don't have to be normal, Christian. You don't have to be normal. You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. You are a new creation. You are at one with Jesus Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You don't have to be a victim like that. You see, that what's different? Go back to uh, the, the first part of Romans. Paul says, remember we've talked about this over and over again, be transformed by changing the way you think. Be transformed by changing the way you think. And then he goes on and says, think according to your faith. You see, when Christians encounter evil, we don't react reflexively. We stop and we think. We think according to our faith. What would Jesus want me to do? Let's read it again, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. Here's the promise, I will repay. I will repay. See, faith believes that promise. Faith believes that, that you're not the dominant reality in my life. Jesus is. You're not, you're, you're not going to overcome me. I'm going to be overcome by Him. That's the choice. Belief, unbelief. Overcome by evil or overcome by the Spirit of God. Which one are you going to do? See, Christ governs my life. Christ governs our life, not those who do evil against us. I'm going to, um, tonight, as we close here, we're, we, it only took about 40 minutes, so we got just a few minutes. I, I think it would only be um, right that in, as I said, everybody here deals with anger. Everybody here opens the door. That, that's, as, that's as natural as breathing. 
The question is, have you shut the door? Have you shut the door? Some of us have still got the door open. And some of us have got some anger and some bitterness and some grudges and some unforgiveness. And let me tell you, that is so dangerous. Do you hear me? That is so dangerous to your life. It's a hot potato. You need to get rid of it as quickly as you can. Don't walk out of here tonight without leaving it. Don't walk out of here tonight without leaving it to Him. I'm going to close. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, if you would like to come to the altar, um, it can be something minor. Not, not everybody's got big, giant, unforgiveness things in their life. Sometimes it's just little things. But we need to get rid of all of them, don't we? So as I pray, feel free. If you want to come find a place to pray and, and do a little work with the Lord, feel free to do that. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, uh, book of Romans, this chapter 12, and, and the way it ends here, Lord. Father, there is not a person here that hasn't been wronged in some way. Me, and I hold my hand up. There's not a person here that doesn't get angry. But God, we confess to you tonight, Lord, that in and of ourselves, if we just act normal, we cannot let it go. It is just so hard. So Holy Spirit, I ask you, I ask you to do a work here in somebody's life. If there's anyone here tonight, Lord, that's harboring a grudge against another person, if there's anyone here tonight that's got unforgiveness against somebody that has wronged them, in the past, that's been unfaithful to them, that's, that's let them down in some way. If anybody here tonight has got something like that against, against uh, someone in their life, maybe it's a family member. Holy Spirit, do something right now. Do not let them walk out. Don't let any of us walk out of here tonight with a grudge. God, imprint that hot potato in our mind, if you will, that we have got to get rid of that thing as soon as we possibly can. And right now is as good a time as any. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, move right now. Move right now in people's hearts. Again, Lord, if there's anybody here, it's so dangerous, so dangerous, I know, for us to harbor that in our hearts. God, help us to forgive. Help us to leave that burden at your feet, knowing, knowing that you're going to take it up. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for setting that example for us on the cross when you... You were wronged when, when, when you were let down, when, when people abandoned you and, and all the things that happened to you, Lord, so wrong, but yet, God, you put your faith in the Father. Help us to be the same. As hard as that is, help us to do the same. Help us to walk like you and think like you and act like you. Father, once again, thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing here tonight, God. And Father, we just uh, we ask as we come back this week and Sunday, Father, we just pray as we always do. If there's someone out there that's going to be here Sunday that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray even right now for that person. I pray right now, God, that you would orchestrate the circumstances, that you would sovereignly, sovereignly bring them to this house this Sunday. God, that you would open their eyes and open their hearts so that they would see the beauty of Jesus Christ and you would save them in River of Life this Sunday, that we would all get to see the miracle of a new creation. God, show yourself mighty. Do it for your son's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.